0: And welcome to On Campus on this Tuesday afternoon, where we go inside your college campus and get insight from you, the fans. I'm your host, Jerry McMahon, and I hope you all had a better Saturday than Oklahoma, LSU, and Utah fans. Well, it's that time of year where coaching changes normally happen. Here's the deal, though. Athletic departments across the country have been shelling out millions upon millions of dollars, giving 10-year contracts to coaches who have proved nothing, and then they're left with boosters having to write checks once again. Fan bases are also divided, then, among supporters and non-supporters of the former coach, or what move the athletic department should have done. Bottom line, it takes at least three years for a coach to fully implement their system of a play, get two years under their first recruiting class, and install a positive culture. And this isn't just for football. It's for any sport, really. I mean, how can Nebraska keep firing and hiring guys every three years, or why did Michigan State extend Mel Tucker for ten years after one good year with the team he literally inherited from Mark D'Antonio? And look, there are some times where you're going to need to fire someone before your three years. Examples, uh, Brian Harson, Urban Meyer, Cara Dorrell. But there's also something seen for giving someone a chance and letting some stability happen in your program. Athletic directors out there looking to make a change need to at least think about that and have, a, and have a list of at least three guys you want to hire before you pull the trigger on a major decision. All right, well, guys, that was a lot. But we're now moving on to our week six recap of college football, and it was an interesting one. Close games, blowouts, teams that are performing in big moments, and a Hail Mary for the ages in California. TCU at Kansas, this is our first game. This really, it was a fantastic matchup, honestly. You had all the feels with college game day, the football version coming to Lawrence for the first time, and again, people saw the benefit of having game day in a college town environment. Although the national media in some ways is still not giving both of these teams respect, with neither team still yet to have a primetime matchup, and no, not just on ESPN Plus or Fox Sports One, because that, quite frankly, doesn't count as national television. I'll tell you though, Max Duggan hasn't entered into the Heisman. Why Max Duggan hasn't entered into the Heisman race? I don't know, but he's been as consistent and accurate in it as any other quarterback from blue- from blue blood school. Aside from Bryce Young, who, quite frankly, is just so good he gets his own category. What impressed me though most about Max Duggan in this game was his ability to execute the tight throws. Of course, it helps when your receiving core is all over six foot and two hundred twenty pounds. TCU's defense in the second half is cause for concern, though, as they let a team without their starting quarterback rally back and score 28 points in the second half alone when Kansas had only scored a touchdown in the first half. The theme of this one for the Jayhawks, don't quit. And that's exactly what they did with Jason Bean, who went 16-24 for 262 yards, four touchdowns, and a pick. As a team, Kansas outgained TCU 540 yards to 452 yards. Kansas averaged 7.5 yards per play compared to TCU's 7.1 yards per play. Bottom line, TCU is lucky to get out of Lawrence with a win after their defense is a horrible second half. TCU, though, you know, you're 5-0, and you're the only undefeated team in Texas out of the 12 FBS schools in the state, so pat yourselves on the back for that. And you got to give credit to both coaching staffs to the job that they've done. Last year, TCU was 1-2 against AP Top 25 teams in 2020 and 2021. In 2022, they're already 2-0 and looking to make it 3-0 this week against a very talented Oklahoma State team. This one here, uh, it was a surprising one in Los Angeles, Utah at UCLA. UCLA, they pull off their second ranked upset of the year and proves that Los Angeles has two really good college football teams this year for the first time probably since 2005. People talk about the Big 12 being wide open this year, which is true, but they're not the only ones that are. The Pac 12 is wide open as well, with USC, UCLA, Washington State, Utah, and yes, maybe Oregon State if they win out as well. Heading into this game, UCLA had lost four of its last five to the Utes. This really shows the change in the culture that Chip Kelly has brought to Los Angeles. With this win, the Bruins became bowl eligible and are 6-0 for the first time since 2005. Dorian Thompson-Robinson was electric at quarterback, six touchdowns in the first seven drives. The star duo of Thompson-Robinson and running back Zach Charbonnet fueled the offense during that stretch, putting up gaudy and efficient numbers en route to the runaway win. Thompson-Robinson ended the day with 299 yards and four passing touchdowns on on a 78.3 completion percentage, and a 236.2 passer rating. The dual-threat veteran also added 17 yards and a score on the ground, making plays really, quite frankly, any way that he could. Utah, they played well, but they didn't play well enough with... They didn't play with enough fight and intensity to win the game. In a way, I think they overlooked the Bruins. And who wouldn't? I certainly did. Camerizing on the offense was good, but the fault lies with the use defense. That needs to be corrected before the showdown with L.A.'s other team, USC, or else they stand a chance to get blown out. Next one here is a thriller in the ACC, FSU at NC State. NC State won a game that looked like they weren't going to win. If anything, though, you have to give credit to what NC State did. It's their toughness and their mental attitude throughout that game, that mentality of just keep grinding away and waiting for something big to open up. And when it did, Devin Leary took advantage of it, even when it looked like he would be out for the rest of the game. You know, he had that scary moment there when he was down there on the field for 10 minutes, which I... Unfortunately, these last couple of weeks has become a theme in, college, in football. But anyways, NC State's run game has rallied, rallied in the end, while Florida State's offense just stalled for no apparent reason. I thought regardless of the outcome of this game that Florida State would be able to put up a fight against Clemson, but that's all gone now. Mike Norvell needs to seriously consider firing his offensive coordinator after this embarrassment of a second half. Now the next one here, this one dear and to my heart. Uh, texas Oklahoma the Cotton Bowl, what I'm now calling the Red River Shutout. 49 nothing. I got to tell you, uh, I knew Oklahoma had problems. I did not know they were this bad. I mean, it, God, it, I mean, quite frankly, they're worse than Auburn this year. Um, I mean, how does a team, you know, you start, you start like, you rank like what, number six in the country, you know, you go beat Nebraska, you know, you struggle to beat Kent State, but you're still, you know, 3-0, and but then, you know, lose Kent State. I mean, that's, Acceptable, somewhat losing to Kansas State, but then you get blown at TCU, you get blown up there. What's next for Brent Venables? You know, uh, I mean, you're probably gonna lose to Kansas this week, but OU. Bottom line, they were outplayed every phase of the game. You know, they tried some trickery, and uh, like early on in the first quarter, you know, with you know, they, I mean, they basically Jeff Libby, you know, and you know, and you gotta appreciate Jeff Libby's effort. You know, I mean, he was throwing together this offense with you know gauze tape and quite frankly anything he could find. You know, having a tight end right at quarterback in the Wildcat, you know, going for it every time on fourth down. And it worked for a bit. But once that second drive ended, it was gone. And I'll tell you something. Quinn Ewers, um, he showed that he's the quarterback uh, for the Horns this year. Um, And just some stats that we got from the Cotton Bowl scoreboard for you. Just to really show the difference between the teams. Texas had 296 rushing yards. Oklahoma had 156. Texas had 289 passing yards. Oklahoma only had 39. Texas had 585 total yards. Oklahoma had 195. And Texas had one ton. Oklahoma had two. And on penalties, penalties, that was kind of the nice part about this game. There weren't really a ton of penalties, only five. But what that shows you is Oklahoma, again, they're completely outmanned, completely outplayed. And I thought that, you know, I didn't want to see a repeat of last year as a Texas fan, but, you know, once – once you start to get into that third quarter, you showed okay, you know we got this mentality that we're going to be working on and credit to Steve Sarkeesian for getting that mentality because you know he used that loss last year as a building block to not have those letdowns again. Anyways, moving on to our week seven preview in college football, Alabama at Tennessee. Tennessee is a team that none of us saw coming into this game as five and zero with the number eight ranking, but they are, and Josh Heupel has worked miracles in Knoxville with a dominating performance in Death Valley last week and their impressive resume already over AP Top 25 teams. Add to that a stellar offense and a stellar defense, and the balls might just have what it takes to win and stun the world. Now moving on to the supposed favorite of this game, Alabama. Nick Saban at his Monday press conference said of Bryce Young. Hopefully we're going to try to get him ready to play this week, Saban said. But this is something nobody can predict how quickly this is going to give him an opportunity to be able to go out and do what he needs to do. We'll see you this as the week progress, but I don't have more to say. Quite frankly, it seems to me as basically if, if this game was held on Monday, that Bryce Young wouldn't start. And after seeing Alabama's backup play against a and I'd take the balls left and right if Bryce Young isn't starting. If he is starting, expect this one to come down to the wire. Sure, Bryce Young will be a little rusty, but I mean, he's Bryce Young. You know, he's able to avoid the worst situations possible. We all remember the avoided sack on 37 at the Texas game. Honestly, though, if he does start, yes, the offense will, will be better, but your defense is still the same. They played, quite frankly, just awful against the Aggies and allowed Hayes King, who I don't think has seen live action since week two to take them down to the wire. I got the Vols in a program-defining win, Rocky Top by seven. Moving on to a fun one in the Big 12, matchup of the unbeatens, Oklahoma State at TCU. TCU has one of its highest rankings. They're 13th right now in the AP Top 25 in recent memory, and they came off a statement win against a really good Kansas team. TCU ranks number third in the country in total offense and number four in the country in points scored per game. Oklahoma State, on the other hand, has the nation's third best scoring offense and has scored over 30 points a game in every matchup this season. There is no doubt in my mind that this will be that this one will be a shootout with numbers that will make both defensive coordinators rethink their life choices. That's why this game comes down to who has the better offensive unit around them, and right now that's TCU. I got the Frogs by two. NC State at Syracuse. Syracuse comes off a bye week, so they should be well-rested, which is a good thing for the Orange because they have a very good NC State team on tap next. While NC State is coming off a 19-17 home win over Florida State, they trailed 17-3 at the half, but they used a second-half comeback to escape with a victory. This game is critical for both teams with ACC title game implications on the line in New York. This is a Syracuse team who I thought would be lucky to have 4-5 wins. Well, they already have five wins, including an impressive comfort-behind win against a solid Purdue team. So, Dino Babers has no problem getting his guys motivated to go and go prove the world wrong again. For NC State, Devin Leary not being 100% and coming off a win, but it was a win in which their squad was banged up. Orange by three. Mississippi State at Kentucky. Kentucky is coming off a game in which nothing went right for the Wildcats, losing to a subpar South Carolina team 24-14. Now, granted, Kentucky, you know you're you're without your starting quarterback of Will Levis, but the playing calling, very very questionable. You know you had that uh, you had that play in the first quarter led to a turnover. No no need for stuff like that. But Mark Stoops has not said whether Levis will be starting in this one. I expect Kentucky to keep this one close if they have Will Levis. But in the end, I just think Mississippi State's electric offense, quite frankly, quarterback Will Rogers been putting up monster numbers. You know I think that's too much for him in the end. But the good news, though, for the Wildcats is that Mississippi State ranks 99th nationally in run defense. So they need to use the ground game at all costs if they want to rebound. But like I said, Mississippi State, too much stuff. Mississippi State and the Pirate by seven. USC and Utah. USC, you know, right now, they're like Texas men's basketball team last year. Everybody thought they were going to be in the Final Four or the Elite Eight and they have all these really good players from the transfer portal. Well, you know what actually happened to them? They actually struggled a good bit in part because you had too many good players to know what to do with all of them. And also, implementing a new system with new players takes a while, and to some extent, this is what we're seeing at USC. Caleb Williams' last couple games has not been the offensive masterpiece we all thought the Trojan offense was going to be. Although USC has a great running game, and Travis Dye almost rushed for 150 yards on 28 carries, USC's defense is okay at best. Sure, they have a good overall ranking, but does that really matter when you've really never played anybody? Lincoln Riley is going to get a welcome to the Pac-12 message in Salt Lake City on Saturday. And the college football world will realize that the Trojans aren't everything people make them out to be. Cam Rising and the rest of the Utah offense have played well against tough defenses, including Florida and UCLA. Rising isn't the type of quarterback who will make your sports center highlight throws like Caleb does. But he's consistent and it works to his advantage as, you, as the Utes get to control the game. I like the experience and the ball control in this one. Utes by six. Final game here at Penn State at Michigan. This game will determine who wins the Big Ten East in my opinion. Both teams come into this game at 5-0. Michigan's offense lacks some thunder power, but where they'll come up big this weekend is with their defense against a shaky Penn State offense. Penn State, on the other hand, they have a weak passing game, but a very solid running attack. Running backs Nick Singleton and and Catron Allen have been very good at combined 766 yards and eight touchdowns. The fumbles during a rainy game against Northwestern were a concern. They operate behind an offensive line that has improved from a season ago despite replacing several starters. But their defense, as anybody knows who has had many defense as a defensive coordinator, they're automatically horrible. Penn State, though, they've overachieved already this season from their 7-6 and six season a year ago. But honestly, again, you know, I talked about this earlier in my opening segment, but why James Franklin got a 10-year extension is beyond me. But anyways, now on to Michigan. The Wolverines have displayed greatness at times, but they've also fallen into trap games. The game last week at Indiana and against Maryland were games that really should not have been that close, but they were. Michigan does hold opponents, though, to 82 yards rushing per game. That and the, and the, and the sold-out crowd at Michigan Stadium should make the difference. Wolverines by 14. Moving on to this week in NIL, and we got a couple interesting deals for you. First off, Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett signed a deal with Schumann Farms. As part of his contract with Schumann Farms, Bennett will do commercials with a focus on tailgating and promoting the company's sweet onions across various social media platforms and will also be included in marketing materials when the sales begin. This deal was brokered by Everett Sports Marketing. The deal will will last through the remainder of the college football season. CEO of Schumann Farms, John Schumann, said in a statement, We are so impressed with Stetson's hard work and determination that has led to his success on and off the football field. He also grew up in South Georgia, not too far from where we are in Breedsville, and so we thought it was a natural fit to partner with him. Bennett adds to his NIL arsenal with Fanatics, Georgia Power, AARP, and Sivanus Bank. Bennett's on-three NIL evaluation is $963,000, in part to the dogs 5-0 start to the 2022 season. Next up, I thought the one was interesting. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago about um some UCF athletes getting a deal with the Orlando FC soccer team. But this is interesting, though, you know, I have another deal with a pro sports team here. And pit Safety, Brandon Hill signing a deal with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Hill's theme throughout his NL jersey has been has been random acts of kindness. In his partnership with the in his partnership with the Pittsburgh Pirates. The safety spent the day giving away tickets for Tuesday night's game against the St. Louis Cardinals at PNC Park. Hill, was, Hill will also throw out the first pitch of the ball game That starts at 6.35 Eastern time. Hill has spent the past few weeks spreading positive thoughts and doing random acts of kindness on the streets of Pittsburgh. At one of his recent stops, he spent the day passing up posts notes full of positive messages. The deal with the Pirates was facilitated by Jaster Athletes. Hill told On3 NIL a statement, It's an amazing feeling to be supported by the city and to be able to return the favor by giving back. Partnering with the Pirates is really cool for me, and I had no idea when I started this random of Kindness jersey that this is what it would turn into. And finally, this one about Thousand Reduction Reese's Peanut Butter Cups has an NIL deal with 12 players from both Power 5 and non Power 5, Division 1, Division 2, and also some HBCU players as well. But there's a catch all their last names are Reese. Reese has announced the deal on Thursday and calls it the tastiest deal in history. Well fitting. According to ON3NIL, the deal will include that the players will receive Reese's chocolate and peanut butter footballs in cups for the season, along with drip-worthy you know, for simply having the best last name in the game. The gear includes a Reese's, Reese's chain, an ambassadors-only gold chain and pendant. Players also involved in the deal will receive a custom-tailored blaze orange Team, team Reese travel blazer, a pair of custom cup blinks, and a mini-fridge shaped like a locker to keep Reese's footballs at the perfect temperature. Also expect players to be featured on Reese's University website. This website is built to look like a real school. Including links to the quote unquote athletic and admissions department. There are even examples of what student life looks like at RU. Now, moving on to our last segment of the week, the failures of the week. First off, Brian Harson, and just quite frankly, all of Auburn University. Really, the blame here with Harson, it falls with everybody at Auburn. And while Harson had to deal with an NCAA scandal, he weathered through it better than most coaches have in the past. But bottom line, things have gotten so bad at Auburn that they're not even competitive anymore. I mean, they've lost the fans, and soon you'll lose the boosters. I mean, I heard last week on ESPN U Radio that that the Tiger walked, you know, that the fans would get, that the fans were booing Brian Harson. He's a good football coach. He did well at Boise State, but he made the move too quickly to the SEC. Now, next, and this is gonna surprise a lot of people, but I don't know if anybody saw the altercation uh, at the end of the game between uh, Jackson State head coach Deion Sanders and Eddie Robinson of Alabama State. But this is what puts Deion Sanders on our failures of the week. You know, he won the game. And normally my failures of the week, they're just based on, um, you know, whether the coaches, you know, failed to, you know, win the game or a uh, coaching decision. But, you know, Deion, they won the game. They won the game 26-12, but that's not the reason why he's on there. The reason why he's on there is because, you know, he showed a lot of disrespect before, you know, in the week leading up to it, you know, on social media, you know, talking that. You know, apparently he, apparently he walked through their line, you know, while he was – uh he walked through Alabama State's line as he was, you know, trying to get to his own sideline. Um, and, you know, honestly, you know, Eddie Robinson may take a lot of heat for his response, but, I mean, honestly, I got a lot of respect for it, you know, because if somebody's going to come disrespect you, disrespect your players, disrespect your, your school, yeah, you know what, you're not going to give them a bro hug. You'll shake their head because you respect them, but you move on. And Deion, you know, he's done a lot, you know, for the swag, obviously. You know, he's... Elevator Jackson State to a level that, you know, is, is very watchable, which has not really happened with, HBC, which H, with HBCU football in the past. But Dion, as the sole image of HBCU football, he has got to rethink about the image that he creates for people. And lastly, he's made – this is his third time on our Failure of the Week. Brent Venables and Oklahoma fans – and, quite frankly, this one really needs no explanation. You know, you've lost three straight for the first time since, I think it was 1998. Uh, you get completely boat raced by your main rival. And things aren't looking good for Oklahoma right now. They're just not. I mean, quite frankly, they, they, they are probably the worst team in the Big 12 right now. You know, you're playing a Kansas team this week. that's probably going to beat you, and they're going to be bowl eligible. And, and, you know, I mean, things aren't going good, good. And, look, Brent Venables is a good coach. Yeah, I, I think he is, but when you're, it also hurts when your whole team was basically taken away by the transfer portal and Lincoln Riley at USC, and you also lost a good bit to the NFL draft too, so you know, Oakland fans, they got to be patient with Brett Venables. But I, but I understand their pain as a Texas fan who lived under three years of Charlie Strong but uh, you got to be patient, and you got to give him some time to get his own recruiting classes in there Anyways, uh, for everybody here at on campus, I'm Jerry Macman and and my still in all the football games this weekend.